scripture reading this evening is taken from the Psalm, chapter 19, verse 1 through 4. The book of Psalms, 19, verse 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their winds to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. I'm doing something a little bit different for the lesson this evening. If you grew up in the Lord's Church and you remember the book, Songs of the Church, and if you remember 728B, raise your hand. Maybe a few. Okay. All right. So I'm not completely flying blind here. I've already had a couple people say, what in the world is 728B about? There was a songbook about two songbooks ago from the one that we have in our pews right now. And the songbook was entitled Songs of the Church. When I was a teenager, that was the songbook we used in, in the church where, where I worshiped back in Tyler. And there was a quirk in that particular songbook. The quirk was all of the songs of the book had a number and that's all. But there was one song that had a letter with it. I don't know why. I don't know if anybody knows the reason why it had a letter, but it was 728B. And when the song leader would stand up and say, we're gonna sing 728B, everybody knew immediately, we're singing our God, he is alive, there is a God. I took a picture of it and put it on the screen there behind me, 728B, so you know I'm not making this up. This really actually was a thing, and even now, among churches of Christ, there are people that have printed t-shirts that say 728B on them because that's just kind of like, I don't know, it's just a, it's an identifier. It's something that, people, oh, I know what that is. And, and people use that as kind of, hey, I'm a member of the Lord's church too. But I want us to talk about the song itself tonight. And I appreciate Daniel leading that for me. Um, as we think about our God, he is alive. There's a story here that needs to be told. I believe that we ought to appreciate and then make some observations from God's word about what we can learn. There was a man who was a brother in Christ. His name was A.W. Dicus, Aaron Wesley Dicus. That's his picture. He was born in 1888. He died in 1978. So he's been gone for a good while now. A.W. Dicus is the author of Our God, He is Alive, the song we just sang. As I said, he was a brother in Christ. He was baptized at about age 20, and he was a very intelligent man. Brother Dicus went and got a bachelor's degree, and then he got a couple of master's degrees, and he ended up with a PhD in physics. He was very, very intelligent. And Brother Dicus was employed by Tennessee Polytechnic Institute in, Cross, I believe, Crossville, Tennessee. And he was teaching as a professor there physics. And many, many of his students were being, uh, were being siphoned away because he was such an excellent physics teacher. They were being siphoned away to work in the Oak Ridge laboratories in, there in Tennessee during the time in the 1940s when America was developing atomic weapons. Brother Dicus was instrumental in training the men who actually worked on those weapons and developing them uh, in, in, in that era. And so very, very highly regarded as a professor, as an academic, he was a scientist. Brother Dicus was also interested in a lot of other things. He was kind of a Renaissance man. Brother Dicus is the man who is credited with inventing the turn signal on automobiles. 
As a matter of fact, he had a patent on the very first turn signal, turning left or right, in the early 1920s. And so for about 15 years, he received all the royalties from everybody that was selling cars that had turn signals on them. Brother Dykus invented a lot of things like that through his lifetime and had some patents. But more than anything else, Brother Dykus was a New Testament Christian. He heard the gospel and he obeyed the gospel and everywhere he went in his life, wherever he lived, whether it was in Missouri or whether it was in Indiana or whether it was in Tennessee as he worked with the Tennessee Tech Institute or whether even when he went to Florida, he always preached. As a matter of fact, preaching was something that he was very particularly passionate about. And so he was kind of a tent-making preacher. He worked in colleges and universities. He received income from that, but he would preach for local churches who needed someone to fill the pulpit. And from all accounts, he was an outstanding gospel preacher. Brother Dykus is the one who in his later years ended up authoring Our God, He is Alive. So here's this man with all of this knowledge and all of this learning. He knew physics, he knew God, he knew God's word, and he decided to write the song. In the 1960s, as Brother Dykus became later in his life, he kind of took up songwriting as a hobby. He actually wrote about 30 hymns. The only one that we have that we would really recognize is Our God, He is Alive. But he wrote about 30 of them. But in 1966, Time Magazine put on the front cover of their magazine the question, Is God Dead? In April 1966, and this caused a sensation in our country. Everybody, people preached sermons about this and people got really concerned about this. Is God dead? Was Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher back in the 1800s, was he right? And is he really irrelevant to us now? Those were the kinds of questions Time Magazine was asking. And so it was later in 1966, and most people believe it was not by coincidence, later in 1966 that Brother Dykus first released his draft of Our God, He is Alive. And when you think about the words we just sang, listen to the words. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with his great might. And then the rest of the song goes on to talk about God's revelation and God's wisdom and God's plan of salvation. Brother Dykus wrote this song. He, he did an outstanding job. We still love to sing it today, don't we? It's a response to things like this that were happening in his world in his time. We need to appreciate sometimes that, you know, not every song in our songbook was written by a member of the Lord's church. If it's true, we ought to sing it. If it's biblical, we ought to sing it, regardless of who wrote it. But we ought to really appreciate some of these stories about how the songs in our songbooks came to be, especially when they were written by our brethren in Christ. It's really interesting to think about. Incidentally, Brother Dykus, after about 20 years of teaching at Tennessee Tech, he was invited to Temple Terrace, Florida, where a new college was beginning. The Florida Christian College in the early 1950s was beginning, and they were really struggling. It was a small school uh, affiliated with Churches of Christ, and Brother Dykus resigned his position at Tennessee Tech. He was very prestigious, very well esteemed. He resigned his position, took a much less lower paying job in Florida so that he could help that small struggling school begin. And he was one of the ones that is credited especially with bringing some credibility in an, in an academic sense to that college. And it continues still today. In fact, Connor Sisko graduated from Florida College over in Temple Terrace, Florida. It's still there today. But Brother Dykus was instrumental in helping that particular college get on, get on its feet. 
again, a godly man, a man who preached everywhere he went, and a man who really loved the Lord, even when it sometimes cost him personally, was willing to do things like that. Very impressive to think about. What I want us to do with our study this evening is to make four observations based on the song that he wrote, Our God, He is Alive. And I hope these will be helpful to you. I hope these will be something that you can take and think about and pray about because I want all of us to think a little bit more like Brother Dykus did. I want all of us to think about how we can leave maybe a lasting legacy among the people of God because here we are still talking about him and the only reason any of us would even bring him up is because he left this song that we can sing about our great God and about the majestic way in which he created the world and saved us from our sins. So four observations, four lessons that we ought to take and think about based on our God, he is alive, there is a God. First observation, we do not have to choose between science and God. You don't. Oftentimes people give that impression that you must choose. You got to either choose the science and the scientific data or you got to choose God and the Bible, but you can't have both. You can't, you can't believe both. They're both not true. You don't have to choose. God is the God of creation. He is the God who designed this world, who framed the worlds with his great might. And Brother Dykus and many, many, many more men like him and women as well have, have, have stood up and said, there is a God. He is the God of creation, the God of the Bible. And we can be scientists and we can use our minds and our, our intelligence to assess scientific facts and data. And we can still have faith in God because the Bible upholds that which is true. And because it upholds that which is true, as scientists, we can believe the Bible. We don't have to choose between science and God. You think about what evidences there are for God, very briefly. The fact that creation exists demands a creator. Hebrews chapter three, verse four, the Bible teaches that everyone, every house that's built must have been built by someone. And the fact that there's a world and there's order to the world and logic and it's not chaos demands that there must have been a creator. Every design demands a designer. We read just a moment ago from Psalm 19 verses one and two, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork. You don't have to choose between science and God. You don't have to decide one or the other. Both are true. We can listen to what the Bible says and we can let our scientific conclusions be shaped and formed in part by what scripture teaches as well as the evidence we read and see around us. Design demands a designer. Laws demand a lawgiver. The fact that there are constants, the fact that the speed of light is a constant, the fact that Planck's constant or pi at camp last week, there was a young lady who stood up and I don't know why in the world she did this, but on talent night she stood up and she had memorized the first 28 digits of pi. You know what pi is, the number about the circle and all that? She had memorized 28 digits and she recited them for us and it was very impressive. And I asked her afterwards, why did you think that that was a thing to do? And she said, oh, I just got bored one night and decided to memorize pi. And she's going for 100 digits next year. She said she wants to stand up and do it again next year. And okay, whatever, that's, you know, whatever floats your boat. The idea though, there is a number out there that is significant and meaningful and it's constant. Where did that come from? Where did the idea that there is a number that helps you assess the radius of a circle? Laws demand a lawgiver. The law of gravity, where did that come from? There is one lawgiver and one judge. It's God who created the world. 
You don't have to choose between science and God because God created everything that exists and he orders it and he ordains it. We don't have to choose. In Romans 1 verses 18 through 21, the Bible affirms that there is evidence available to all of God's existence. There is a God. He is alive. Again, as we think about God and his will, we don't have to choose between science and God. Second, this evening, as you think about lessons based on Brother Dicus and what he, what he wrote, I believe every one of us ought to think about this. You can use your mind to glorify God. There are some fantastic minds among us, some really super smart people among us. There are some super creative people among us. You should, you must use your mind to glorify God. And people might say, well, you know, okay, as a side gig, as a side job, fine, glorify God with your mind, but make sure you use your mind to make a lot of money. Make sure you use your mind to, to do some incredible things in the world around you. No, use your mind to glorify God and God will take care of all the rest. Think about this. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Isn't that interesting? Use your mind to glorify God. Love him with all your mind. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 verse 5. The Bible commands us in Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 to pray about everything and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Use your mind to bring honor and glory to God. 2 Timothy 1 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Use your mind, use your intelligence to glorify God. I'll tell you what we need more of in the Lord's church. And listen up, young people, older people as well. We need more people who are using their intelligence, their intellect to honor and glorify God. Brother Dicus is a tremendous example of that, isn't he? Here's a man who was a physics professor associated with some of the finest minds in our country in his era. And yet here's a man who humbly preached the gospel every first day of the week. He used his mind to glorify God. We need people who can use creativity and imagination in God-honoring ways that respect the authority of Scripture, that respect what His Word has to say, but still being creative to the glory of God, using your imagination to the glory of God, songwriting to the glory of God, for example. What a wonderful way to leave a legacy and to honor and glorify our God. What about promotion of truth? When we think about using our minds to honor and glorify God, there are a lot of very intelligent people who are antagonistic to Christianity. Where are the New Testament Christians who are using their minds and using their skills and their intellects to promote truth and to stand for what the Bible does say? There are plenty of people arguing what the Bible does not teach and what the Bible does not say and why the Bible should be irrelevant to all of us. Where are those among us who are willing to say, I'm going to use my mind to promote the truth. We need more of that among God's people. Brother Dicus is an example. Third, this evening, as we think about lessons that we can take, there is a God, he is alive. What lessons should we derive from that particular idea? Brothers and sisters and friends, going with the second point, we ought to consider writing to the glory of God. Writing, that means taking out paper and ink and writing things on pieces of paper or alternatively, digitally. But consider writing and make sure that what you write is to the glory of God. 
Now, let me just caution you. Social media, much of what's put out there is done with very little thought, with very little assessment or very little idea of what effect is this going to have when I hit return and it goes out there into cyberspace. What kind of influence is this going to be? Very little thought is given to that. We ought to give thought to the weight of our words because they do have an effect on people. But when you write, consider writing and consider, does this glorify God? Is this true? Is this helpful? Is this inspiring? Is this needful? Is this kind? Is this accurate? Those kinds of questions. Jude verse three, Jude says, my brethren, while I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary instead to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude talks about two letters that he was writing in Jude verse three. He says, I was writing an uninspired letter to you about salvation because that's what Christians do. We write to one another. But then I found out there was something going on and now I'm writing this inspired letter of Jude to tell you that you need to stand up for what's right. Jude was a writer. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, Paul talked about the gospel that he received from the Lord. He said, I've written these things down so that when you read them, you will have my understanding in the gospel. You'll know the same gospel that I know because I've written it down. Second John 12, John says to his brethren, I have many things to write to you, yet I don't want to do it with paper and ink. I want to come and see you face to face so that your joy and mine may be full. But John was writing. These apostles were writing, these inspired men were writing to the glory of God. John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing you may have life through him. Things are written so that people can be inspired and edified, that their faith can be built up, and you ought to consider writing to the glory of God. Consider this, what you write will outlive you. We are sitting here and we just worshiped God by singing, there is a God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. Who originally wrote those words? Brother Dykus did back in 1966. But here we are in 2022 and we're still singing those words and we still affirm that those words are true. What you write, brothers and sisters and friends, will outlive you. You want to leave a legacy, you want to leave a mark on the world, write to the glory of God. You never know who's going to be influenced. What you write will influence people. It'll have an impact. What you put in print and what you write down for God's glory, for his purposes, it will have an influence. And what you write will bear fruit. And again, before you hit return, before you hit send on your text messages, you stop and think about what kind of fruit this is going to bear. Because God's people write, but they write to the glory of God. Is the church being edified? Are souls being brought to Christ because of what I'm writing? Are people being influenced for good because of what I'm trying to put in print? I'm gonna tell you something though. Some of you are really, really talented writers. You've got some tremendous ability. I've seen some of your work and I know and I've heard from the grapevine of some of what you are doing. Let me tell you and encourage you, people need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know the gospel and what you write will outlive you. And if you write to the glory of God, only eternity will tell what kind of good you might do through a ministry like that. 
Incidentally, some of you are really good at writing cards and notes of encouragement. Those kinds of things have an impact as well. Not just books that help people understand faith better and understand what it means to follow Christ better, but even just notes and cards of encouragement, those things that are written down, those can glorify God too. I appreciate men like Brother Dicus who decided that in his older years, he was gonna devote himself to writing hymns and the church has been blessed through the ages because of that. Number four this evening, as we think about the song that Brother Dicus wrote, this particular song, Our God, He is Alive, I just want you to notice how magnificently it instructs us about God. And really, what do you want a song to do? If we're gonna open up and sing a hymn of any kind, don't we wanna know more about God and don't we wanna know more about our relationships with one another? Because isn't all of Christianity really about loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves? What does this song have to say about God? Consider the first verse. There is evidence for God. He framed the worlds with his great might. He's invisible. He's beyond the azure blue, but the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Psalm 19 verses one through four. That's the first verse. Second verse, there was a long, long time ago, a God whose voice the prophets heard. He is the God that we should know who speaks through his inspired word, Brother Dicus wrote, revelation of God. The idea that God has spoken to man and what he says matters. What he says is relevant. What he says is eternal. What he says is practical. He speaks through his inspired word. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the revelation of God. Think about the third verse. We didn't sing that while ago and usually we kind of skip over it and that's okay, no problem. But think about the third verse. Secure is life from mortal mind. God holds the germ within his hand. Though men may search, they cannot find for God alone does understand. The wisdom of God, Brother Dicus was writing about. The secret things that belong to God, Deuteronomy 29 verse 29. God's revealed a lot, but he hasn't revealed everything. And even though the greatest physicists and the greatest scientists of every generation have searched and searched and searched and we're mapping the human genome and all these things, we still cannot create life. God holds the germ within his hand. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16, the psalmist says things like, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know my inward parts. You're the one who created me. You're the one who framed me, O God. You're the one who is my creator the wisdom of God. And then the fourth verse, our God whose son upon a tree, a life was willing there to give that he from sin might set man free and evermore with him could live. The fourth verse deals with the salvation of God. The idea that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3, 16. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. That fourth verse emphasizes the salvation of God. I wish, I really in my heart of hearts wish that more of our brethren today would take seriously the idea that you may put pen to paper 
and you may exalt God in some wonderful ways in the form of writing songs for churches to sing. Brother Dykus took this up again, kind of as a hobby in his later years. He wrote about 30 songs and think about this, okay, in all humility, he wrote about 30 songs. They're all still around, but there's really only one that everybody knows. What if you wrote 30 songs? What if you wrote 300 songs, but one of those songs really stuck and people latched onto that and they said, this helps us to honor God. This helps us to praise God. This helps us to love each other more. What if you wrote a song like that? Would it be worth it to help the church, to edify the church, to help God's people to grow and mature and to honor and praise God together? I'm thankful that there were men like Brother Dykus in the last century. And as I think about that song, I just wonder, where are the men and women today who are willing to follow in his example, in his footsteps as he followed Christ? Where, where are people that, that say, we wanna help the church worship and we wanna glorify God with our minds and our hearts. And we wanna make sure that everybody knows you don't have to make a choice between science and God. Where are the people who are gonna do that today? May their tribe increase and may all of us prayerfully and carefully consider the things we've talked about tonight. Thanks for listening. If you haven't obeyed the gospel and you need to do that tonight, come to Christ, put him on in baptism. Or maybe you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers. Whatever your public need is, if you'd make that known, just come down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing. Right.